You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. As the church, we see um, in Ephesians chapter 3, which is where we'll be today. If you've got a Bible, open it up or turn it on. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. And, and um, chapter 3 of Ephesians is about what the church is and why we are in the church and, and what that even means. Um, and so I want, to, I want to spend some time unpacking that today. I have three sermon points. Number one, that we're to pray for the church. Secondly, that we are to grow in the church. Um, God's plan for our spiritual growth is in the church. And then thirdly, that we bring God praise through the church that we're a part of. And, um, and, and so my, my prayer and my longing for for New Heights as a, as a local church is that we would we would outlive ourselves that that the things that we build and the things that we invest in and the, and the, the values that we hold closely um, and to our souls are things that will live on beyond uh, beyond our lifespans and I hope that that's your prayer as well and it's, it's extraordinary for for uh, human beings to lean into anything that will outlive them. And, uh, and so I'm calling all of us to that. I hope it's something that, that we can lean into. And, and it's what Paul calls the Ephesian church into in chapter 3. Um, now, if you remember in chapters 1 and 2, Paul has dealt with some theological issues. He talks about the sovereignty of God and how God has chosen us before the foundations of the world and tells us about the Trinity in chapter 1 with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 2, he tells us how we're redeemed, how we're bought from, uh, from the clutches of sin into new life in Jesus. And it's through the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the dead that we're able to become Christians. And so in Ephesians 2, he tells us that we're saved just by grace. It's not of us doing all the right things and checking off all the boxes and keeping the law. Rather, we're saved by the grace of God. Um, and we're saved into unity in the church. And then in chapter 3, he begins to explain what this mystery is, what this church is. And simply put, the church is God's people of all times and all places. And, and so as, as you hear me today referencing the church, uh, know that sometimes I'm sp- speaking specifically about New Heights Church, but the theological idea is broader than that. It's all of God's people in all places, okay? And so number one, uh, I want to call you to pray for the church. Um, and, and I want to call you to pray for the church, but also just to, to be a deep prayer in general, someone who prays often. Um, if you've ever uh, be- become like me and felt felt like you've struggled with your devotion to Jesus. I know I go through seasons where I feel like I got it all together. Those are usually really short seasons. Like when I read my Bible every day for a whole week in a row, I'm like, man, I am just a super Christian this week. And then, and then uh, usually after I have a good week like that, it comes crashing down the next week. And I like literally won't even open my Bible. And, and so uh, most of us live kind of on that roller coaster, right, of, of uh, devotion and then falling back into a lack of devotion. And, and if you ever struggle with devotion, let me just give you this advice. Is I think the best thing you can do is develop a habit of prayer in your life. Um, sometimes we think to be close with God, the best thing we can do is read a lot or block out a whole lot of time in our schedules. Well, the reality is most of us um, really aren't great readers or uh, that's not something we, we particularly enjoy. And then most of us are pretty busy. And so we end up not reading and we end up not finding that block of time for devotion. Uh, but what we always have time for is prayer, especially if you understand prayer in the way the Bible speaks of prayer. Paul's the one that wrote about prayer to pray without ceasing. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he tells them, he writes about prayer in all of his epistles, but he says to the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. If you ever wonder, how in the world could someone do that? Like, how can you pray without ever stopping praying? Well, what Paul is getting at is just keeping a line of communication open. Um, One of the things I did during the pandemic was buy a motorcycle 
my midlife crisis. And, um, and the thing I love about having a motorcycle is it's a hobby that doesn't necessarily require a lot of time of me. Now, my wife might disagree with that. She's working in a nursery today, so, so she's probably listening to me, but she can't shout back at me. Um, but, but it doesn't necessarily require a lot of time. And, and so I've had a Harley for a couple of years now, and, and I haven't spent a lot of time on the bike, like riding out of state, doing these like long three-day rides, mainly because I don't have a touring bike. But what I love about it is it's a hobby that I can enjoy while I'm on my way to stuff that I don't enjoy, right? Like when I have things that I have to do, appointments I have to go to or work or whatever, um, I can take the Harley and I can enjoy it on the way. And, and this, is a, this is a good analogy for what prayer ought to be in our lives, is that we ought to be people of prayer that even if we, we fail at blocking out that amount of time to devote to God, we can always make sure our prayer life is consistent with what the Bible calls us to, to pray without ceasing. That means that you can pray in your vehicle. That means you can pray in the shower. That means you can pray when you wake up. That means you can pray when you lay down. All your mealtimes. Jesus gives us a good example of praying uh, before our meals, and that's a great time for us to spend time praying as a family. All of these times in our natural rhythms are times that we ought to pray. And Paul puts this extreme emphasis on prayer. And he says in verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. This is an indicator that he is getting ready to write out a prayer. And he says, uh, of this Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. What he's alluding to is the truth of, of chapter 1, that all of us have knowledge of God the Father, that God the Father is sovereign over all creation. And that means that as he is praying, he is bringing his petitions to this sovereign God. And he says in verse 14 the same thing that he says in verse 1. So if you want to look at what Paul is is why, what's the occasion of him bringing this prayer in? You have to actually go back to the beginning of the chapter, and in verse 1 he says the same phrase. He says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and then the English Standard Version has a dash there. And what that means is Paul gets distracted. Now, we believe the Bible's inspired. It's without error. And so uh, the Holy, this is a Holy Spirit distraction, but he goes on a rabbit trail. You guys know I get on some of those sometimes when I'm preaching. Uh, Paul did that one time and preached so long that a dude fell out of a third-story window and died because his sermon was so long and boring. Now, I'm, not gonna, I'm trying, trying not to do that to you today. I don't want to bore you. Um, but Paul gets on these rabbit trails, and in verses 2 through 13, this is what, what I would call like a Holy Spirit-inspired rabbit rabbit trail. And so the past two weeks of sermons were covering the rabbit trail. And then finally in verse 14, he gets back to what he started in verse one, which is a prayer for the church. So he's going to pray for the Ephesian church. And he says he's going to bow his knees, showing humility and showing acknowledgement of reverence to a sovereign God. And so in light of chapter one and who God is, um, and in light of chapter two and what God has done for us, he's going to pray in chapter three that the church would understand this. Listen, the, the theology of, of the Bible is something that I think is very easy for us to cast aside. Listen, I've talked to Christians who say, well, I'm not worried about theology. Theology just means the study of God. And, and I've talked to Christians who say, well, I just want, I just want to love Jesus. And I want other people to know Jesus. And I'm not worried about theology. That just creates denominations and creates division and creates all this stuff. And uh, I mean, really built into that sentiment of I'm, I'm not worried about theology is, is, is the opinion I'm not worried about studying the God that I serve. 
And Paul's desire when he prays for the church is for, specifically for, knowledge. That we would, that we would begin to grasp who God is. And, and what I've found is the more that we study who God is, the more we realize we can't totally figure it out. And so it draws us in to ask more questions about Scripture. It draws us in to pray more frequently so that we can know more about the God that we love. It draws us into the church family so we can have community with other people who are also on the same journey. That the more that we study this God of creation, the, the, the tighter knit we become in his church, which is the best thing for us. And so we need not say, well, I'm not worried about those things. We need to be the answer to people like Paul's prayer that we would lean into this search for knowledge. And so he prays in verse 16 that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And verse 17a says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So he's praying for spiritual strength. In point two, I'm going to show you that that comes through knowledge of the gospel. But he's praying for the spiritual strength, and he says specifically that he's praying for that strength in the inner being. Um, what, what we get fixated on far too often is the external things, the external features of our lives. Really, I mean, we're, we're honestly pretty shallow creatures, if we're honest. We're more worried about what people can see than who we actually are. And, and that's why we, we posture ourselves and cover up ourselves and we try to make ourselves look good. And you don't have to go any further than your Facebook page to prove that that's true. Like, like no, nobody, nobody's like really happy about posting their losses on social media, right? We post our W's on social media. We want everyone to see the good things and the highlight reel. But Paul's praying here not for the external things and the outward things, but he's praying that we would be strengthened in our inner being, our spirit and our soul, which is the foundation of who you are. You know, so many of us define ourselves by what we do rather than who we actually are. We define ourselves by our careers. So, so to me, uh, like when I, when I tell someone who I am, I don't, I don't tell them who I really am. I tell them what I do. I'm a pastor. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, etc., so forth and so on. But, but the book of Ephesians really is a letter that Paul writes to the Christians in Ephesus to give them what their identity actually is, to show them who they really are. That's why we've titled this series, Who We Are. You see, the deepest identity for you rests in Christ, not yourself. Rests in the identity of another. And this is important that we understand that because as Christians, our whole mindset of who we actually are is different than the rest of the world. And even all the other world religions are designed for us to achieve our best self, to achieve oneness, to achieve nirvana, to achieve enlightenment, all these things. But Christianity says, no, you exist for the glory of another. You exist for the worship of another. And so when Paul prays for spiritual strength for the church, he's not asking for external things to grow. He's not asking that their church attendance numbers would grow. He's not asking that they would reach more, do better, or jump higher. He's asking that they would be strengthened inwardly, who they really are, what they really desire. Think of this in a marriage. If I want to love my wife better, the best thing I can do is to communicate with her more and study her more. Now you can take that physical if you want, but it would include that, but it would include other things as well, right? That I want to know her as deeply as possible and I want to communicate with her as often as possible. 
But a flaw that we have in our human thinking is often, if I want a better marriage, then I need to do better things. I need to buy more flowers. I need to plan more dates. And then we apply the same thinking to our Christianity and say, okay, if I'm going to be a better Christian, I'm going to read my Bible this year. I'm going to go to church more often. I'm not going to miss. I'm going to X, Y, Z. You fill in the blank of all the things you have to do. When in reality, what you need to do is probably spend more time talking to the God that you say you love. Spend more time in prayer communicating. Spend more time studying who he is so that you can actually fall deeper in love this day than you were yesterday. You see, the primary way to align yourself with Christ who dwells in your heart is through prayer. And so let me ask you, do you pray sufficiently? Do you pray for your church the way that Paul bowed his knee and prayed for the church that he planted in Ephesus? Have you prayed yet today? Let's ask ourselves today, how would our church, our local church, New Heights Church, be impacted if on Friday, not just the pastors and the staff and the leaders of this church, but that all of us would orient our hearts to say, we want to begin to pray for what God would do this weekend. That on Friday, as as soon as, maybe even before that, if you want to go real crazy, but at least on Friday, you want to begin to ask the Lord, who would you have me to reach out to this weekend to invite to attend church with me? How might our church be impacted and changed? Or that we pray about when we attend um, a Sunday gathering of our local church, that, that we pray that the Spirit goes before us and even orchestrates that we sit beside people that maybe we don't know and we would have the courage to start relationships and introduce ourselves to one another. Or that we pray for the Holy Spirit to affect change in hearts of people who walk into this building who don't yet know Jesus or watch online that don't yet know Jesus. And we would pray and cover our entire weekends in prayer that the Holy Spirit would bring people to life through this. How might we be impacted if we actually became people of prayer like Paul prayed for the Ephesian Christians to be? Well, part of that is making it a priority not just on the weekends and not just on Sundays, but in every area of our lives, not just praying for our local church, but praying for ourselves and those closest to us. We have to prioritize this. Secondly, we are to grow in the local church. We're to be rooted and grounded and grow up into what God has planned for us. Paul prays for the Ephesian church, um, and he prays and he gives some insight into what we are to do as members of the local church. We summarize it at our church in this way, that we glorify, grow, and go. We think those three verbs, glorify God, grow in him, and go for him, really summarize God's mission for Christians. And so New Heights, the name New Heights means that we're always striving. We're never uh, uh, satisfied with the, with the height that we've reached. And so we're always striving to bring more glory to God. We're always striving in God's mission to reach more people who need to hear the gospel. And we're always striving in our knowledge of God that we would grow deeper in that knowledge. And Paul prays the same thing for the Ephesians. In 17b, he says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, this part of of chapter 3 is showing what Paul is praying that they would be strengthened to, specifically, which is the knowledge of the love of Christ, he says in verse 19. 
And the kind of knowledge he's praying for isn't merely academic. It's not merely head knowledge. Notice in verse 17 what he says about this knowledge. Before he prays that they would receive this knowledge, he prays that they would first be rooted and grounded in what? Love. That everything they do would be rooted and grounded in love. And so our, our pursuit of growth, our pursuit of a deeper understanding of the Bible is not so we can usurp it over people who don't know as much as us. It's so that we can love them better. In another letter, Paul writes to the church at Corinth um, in 1 Corinthians 8, now concerning food offered to idols, which is a controversial topic of the first century, he says, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so he says, knowledge has the tendency to make you proud and arrogant and a jerk, but love is what it's going to take to build everyone up. And so Paul prays that they would receive knowledge. He doesn't condemn knowledge. He wants them to grow in knowledge. But he says, make sure as you grow in knowledge, you don't grow out of the love that you have. You know, nobody likes a know-it-all. Amen? Like, nobody likes to hang out with someone. Like, you know the people I'm talking about. Like, no one likes to hang out with the people who know everything about everything, or at least they think they do. It's like one of the most annoying things in the world, right? Uh, and I know that because I tend to be that person. My wife tells me all the time, like, you know nothing about this, Will. Stop trying. I'm like, all right, I got to chill out. <laughs> so we don't want to be those kinds of Christians, right? You see, if, we, if we're all knowledge and we have no love, we become cold, but if we're all love and we have no knowledge, we're shallow. And, and God calls us to fullness, verse 19 says. You see, nobody grows in Christ without knowledge, but nobody comes to Christ without love. And so we have to balance those things. We have to have both of those things. You know who our model is, our example is? Jesus. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Grace and truth could be said to be love and knowledge as well. The words that Paul uses in Ephesians 3. You see, this is why Jesus was full of grace and truth, because grace was needed to draw people to Himself, and truth was needed to pull them out of the sin that they had lived their whole lives in. And as Christians, we've been called into the same thing. It is absolutely free. There are no baits and switches. There are no prerequisites to become a Christian. It is all of love. It is all of God's grace. It's just simply repenting and trusting in Jesus for your salvation rather than yourself. There's nothing we will add to that. At, at our local church, we are a grace-rooted church. That means that we will never be legalistic. We will never add a list of expectations on what it takes to get to heaven. But we love people too much to leave them where we found them. And so truth and knowledge come in to expose darkness in our hearts and the sin that we once um, made allegiance of our lives to. And we walk gradually and we stumble our way away from that sin with a deeper allegiance to Christ as we become holier for his glory. Grace and truth, love and knowledge. Those things together equal what Paul calls in verse 19, the fullness of God. In verse 18, he prays that Christians would be able to comprehend or understand the breadth and length and height and depth of the gospel. He's calling us to know something that is so high above us Matter of fact, in verse 19, as he calls us to this knowledge, he uses the Greek word gnosis two times. He says, and to know the love of Christ, which is ginosko. 
It, it means to have an understanding of something. He, he prays that we would know the love of Christ, but then he defines the love of Christ as surpassing knowledge. It means it's gnosis. It means beyond comprehension. And so Paul is, is praying this, this great irony, right? He's like, I'm praying that you know something that is completely unknowable. Well, thanks, Paul. How do we do that? Right? It's like, well, how in the world are we going to step into that? The best way I can explain it is cryptocurrency. If you don't know what cryptocurrency is, just take a break and don't pay attention for a minute, okay? Um, because I don't know what cryptocurrency is either. And this one guy actually convinced me, a friend of mine, convinced me to buy Bitcoin. And I was like, can you tell me what I'm buying? And he's like, how much time you have? And I was like, okay, this is going to get deep. And he begins to explain to me Bitcoin, and I thought that was it. And then he explained to me that there's like hundreds of other cryptocurrencies that are just like imaginary internet dollars. It was just like the most mind-blowing thing. And every time I thought I like got a grasp of what he was talking about, then I realized it was frying my brain trying to understand what he was actually talking about. And so at the end of it, I was like, okay, I'll buy some Bitcoin. And I, and I made a little bit of money on my investment. And then Pastor Jeremy, I, I gave the spiel to him to try to relay the knowledge to him. And he's like, oh, that sounds cool. And he invested in it. And then it bottomed out. And then we lost all our investment. So thankfully, we didn't bet the house on that or anything. But, um, but, but cryptocurrency is just a small glimpse of what I think of when I think of knowing something that's unknowable. The more I thought about it, the more confused I got. Y'all ever had anything in your life like that? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But, but something that the more that you dwell on it, the more confused it makes you. This is what the gospel is. That the more that you meditate and dwell and pray and think upon what God has done for you, the more you realize that it makes absolutely no sense. That, that why in the world would God in his perfect holiness save a messed up person like you? And it leads to more questions. How did God do this? Why did God do this? And, and Paul addresses some of those in the first half of the letter to the Ephesian church. But what this shows us is that as we scratch the surface of, of this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, it actually enters us into a lifetime of studying God, studying the gospel, we, the, the more we try to wrap our heads around it, guess what? The more questions that come up. You ever think that's how God intended it to be? That the questions and the longing for understanding and closeness to the God who has saved us actually becomes the glue that sticks us into the community that is best for us to look more and more like Jesus. And so Paul says that the love of Christ is what we should spend our lives trying to wrap our minds around knowing that it is unsearchable. Remember last week we looked at a word that he just made up. It was a made-up Greek word because he couldn't, he couldn't come up with the vocabulary to communicate this great riches of God's grace to save messed up people like you and me. And notice what he prays for us to know. Greek, systematic theology, all the intricate workings of study. No, he says he prays for us to know what is unknowable, which is the gospel itself. He calls it the love of Christ. The death of Jesus for sinners. His great love, which makes him willing to stretch out his arms on a cross and take our sin upon his shoulders and drink in the wrath of the Father so that we could be set free and given eternal life. You see, we grow in the church through gospel centrality in our lives. The third thing is that we praise God through the church, through our service 
in the church, through our sacrifice and giving in the church, through our singing and, and attendance in the church, through the gathering of saints, through the praise of our lips, through the observation of the sacraments of communion and baptism, through these things we bring praise through the church to God. You see, God's plan A is his church, and there is no plan B. He doesn't need a plan B. He has given us what he requires of us to be sanctified in him. And it is that we would gather, that we would go, that we would serve, that we would grow. All of these things he's called us to do in his church. And so Paul ends this chapter, really this whole first theological section of the letter to Ephesians, with a, what we would call a doxology. It's a hymnic praise uh, that they would recite together. If you ever think it's weird that we put words on the screen and say them together, my wife says we, we sound like a cult sometimes. Like, I get it. But, but we're practicing what, what the first century Christians practiced. And in chapter 3, 20 and 21, we have one such confession that they would have recited together, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You see, your glory and praise and growth and devotion and mission and service, all of that for God's glory exists in the church. Verse 21 says, to him be glory in the church, not apart from the church. I talk to, to people all the time who profess to be Christians, yet they've abandoned the church. My, my favorite way to illustrate that is if, is if you want to hang out with me, but you want no part of Amanda, number one, you're crazy. But number two, we ain't going to get along very good because she's my bride. And, and, and there, there are people who, who want Jesus, but want nothing to do with his bride. And Jesus has not prescribed it that way in his word. I've heard, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, and going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. All right? I get that, because it's not a prerequisite to get to heaven. But listen, when I see a car in a garage, I'm like, that makes sense. And when I see a Christian in church, I'm like, that also makes sense. Right? That if we love God, we ought to do what God has called us to do. And one of those things is to be with other messed up people stumbling their way to heaven, doing it together because we need each other. And so why does all this mission, devotion, and growth exist in the church? Because it's you. It's not an event. It's you. Your identity is in God's church. He has adopted you into his family, and he calls that family the church, the Greek word is ekklesia, which means those who are called out. And so if we go back to chapter 1 of Ephesians where it says we were chosen before the foundations of the world, that Jesus died on the cross to draw us to himself and adopt us into the family of the heavenly Father, sealed by the Holy Spirit. All of that language is that we are called out of the sin that we're born into and made new creations. And the word called out is what's literally translated from Greek into English as church. We're the called out ones. And what happens is we look around at other called out people and we see their imperfections and then we don't like it. And we want to withdraw from it, right? You guys remember a while back, 
I'm not to throw them under the bus, but they've already been thrown under the bus a lot. When Taste of Asia uh, in Huntington had maggots in their meat grinder, and it hit Facebook. I know y'all are getting sick just talking about it. And everyone was like, we're never going there again. And the next day, I told my wife, I was like, you know, now's the best time to go to Taste of Asia. Because you know they got that cleaned up after the health department come in, and you know there ain't no wait. There was usually you had to go and sit and wait forever. This is our prime time to go, Amanda. They might have even reduced prices. Let's not miss out on this opportunity. <laughs> right? And we all swore it off. There might be some of you sickos that just went back, like me. I don't know. But we all swore it off. We're like, ah, we're done with that place. But we didn't swear off restaurants, right? Matter of fact, there's another Taste of Asia on the other end of, of, of the interstate at Taste Valley, and they came out and said, we're not that Taste of Asia, right? We're the non-maggot Taste of Asia. <laughs> and their business went up. Everyone, who would you go to a new Taste of Asia, right? We take, we take that logic and, and of like, we won't give up on restaurants because one messes up, but that's not how we live our life with churches. I know all kinds of people who one church messed up, one church had somebody that did them wrong, and they just swore off all, all local churches altogether. And universally, the bride of Christ, we're done because one person made me mad. One preacher preached a sermon I didn't like. Let me tell you that I am going to bomb sermons. If you stay here long enough, probably a lot of them. And I'm going to misspeak, and I'm going to say things that offend you, and I'm going to say things that are just flat out wrong because I'm fallible and I'm human, but I'm proclaiming a word that is perfect and eternal. And I'm preaching a Jesus who will never offend you and will never turn you away and will never forsake you. And so as we draw people into that, we need to remember there are people who don't like the taste they have in their mouth from some kind of negative church experience they have. And maybe you're at New Heights because of one of those negative church experiences. And let me preface the future years for you being at New Heights with this. We will let you down because we're broken sinners. My goal as a pastor is never to draw you to our local church. It's to draw you closer to Jesus. And if your walk with Christ is predicated on your local church getting everything right, you're going to be let down time and time and time again. But if your walk with Christ is predicated on Christ's goodness, you'll never be let down. And we'll just do the best we can, amen? That's all. It, look, look, listen, New Heights Church, that's all we need from you. You just do the best you can. <laughs> know you're going to mess it up. The church I grew up in, Middle Fork Baptist, the pastor there, He's with the Lord now, but his name's Jerry Duncan. He used to always say uh, to first-time guests at our church, he would say, hey, thanks for joining us today. If you don't like how we treated you, come back next week and we'll treat you a different way. <laughs> I loved that because, because he, he just acknowledged that they were imperfect and that they were, they were trying to make connections for the sake of the gospel. And the problem that we humans tend to make is we make verse 20 about our churches when verse 21 is about our churches. Verse 21 says that our, through the church, through our local churches, God's going to receive glory in Christ Jesus throughout generations, forever and ever, amen, that through the godly multiplying and planting of churches, we're going to see that increase. But verse 20 is not about the church. Verse 20 is about Jesus. Verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Now what we do is we ascribe that to men of God, 
or women of God or churches of God, and we look at that and we say, is the church able to do far more abundantly than I ask or think? Because that's my expectation. I'm going to place on it. Now to the pastor that can do far more abundantly than all that I ask or think or preach a better sermon than he did last week and do far more abundantly than what I would ever expect. No, this verse is about Jesus. And so point your gaze to him. Not your favorite pastor, not your favorite podcaster, not your favorite preacher, not your favorite church with the best swag, but no, Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Now to Jesus, who is able, he will do far more abundantly than we ask or think. And then here's the the beautiful, mind-blowing reality, that he does this according to the power that he has placed within you and me. The power that Jesus accomplishes his mission, he has placed in ordinary people like you, and he's placed you alongside of ordinary people like us to do this together for his glory and our good. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.